everybody. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. I'm Laura Shara, your host for today. And our next guest is um, a relative of mine. My uncle Roger Shara is joining the Minnesota Bound Podcast today. Roger, how are you? Hi, Laura. I am so happy I convinced you um, and it took a little bit of convincing to hop on the podcast today um, because we just spent an epic weekend together as a family. My dad and my sister and my mom were also out in South Dakota in Rapid City where you reside. And I had a chance to sit next to you um, while we were turkey hunting and you were doing all the turkey calling. And Uncle Roger, I realized how incredible you are at the skill of turkey calling. So I was begging you to come on the podcast. And, and I've never done anything like this. So <laughs> of course I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for um, hopping on here because I know you have so much to share. Um, first, my uncle Roger uh, has been a teacher, a former uh, recently, excuse me, recently retired teacher. You were an art teacher and um, I knew of your turkey calling skills, but I didn't have a chance to hear them myself until just this past weekend uh, sitting next to you. So um, before we get started in sharing some tips and tricks of your secrets and how you've become so talented at calling in turkeys, how did you get started and where did your passion start? Well, I have to tell you, I have to give credit to your father, Ron. Uh, my brother, he uh, kind of was telling me about this turkey hunting thing, and he actually sent me a 45 record, and it was by Penn's Woods. So there was a record and a mouth call, and uh, he sent that to me. I took it out and was playing it. A lot of people probably don't know what a 45 is, but <laughs> um, so I, I just played that over and over. And actually, when I put it in, uh, to my mouth, like instantly got sounds. And, uh, that's how I got started in the, using the mouth call. You know, my dad gave my sister and I mouth calls when we were little girls to practice calling turkeys and probably about, I don't know, 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes in, he probably thought it was the worst decision he's ever made in his life. Because we were then, of course, thought it was really fun to make all sorts of noises with the turkey call in our mouths for hours. <laughs> oh, of course. And maybe annoy them, right? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so um, how old were you when you started working with a, a turkey call? Well, I have to tell you, I was 12 years old uh, wow. when he gave me that record. And, <clears throat> and so in learning and listening to turkeys, I also uh, tried different things because like starting out with the turkey call just to get all the uh, the movements with your tongue and your diaphragm and how everything goes together. And so I would like mimic songs and music and kind of sing along with it, not sing, but kind of make sounds to the music. And so it really got me working the uh, the call really well. And it just kind of progressed from there. And so did you, were you listening to like hen turkeys to try to mimic what they were saying? Like, how are you, where were you going to get the sound that you needed to project, you know, once you had, were using the call? Like, were you listening to something or did someone really 
teach you? Because, you know, the diaphragm call is like this plastic thing you put in your mouth and you're like, well, what do I do with this? Right. And it's, it's a latex call. But so that 45 record from Penn's Woods had uh, different turkey sounds on the record. And so then I would try to mimic it. And then uh, it just kind of progressed from there. And I just kept doing it and reading as much as I could about turkeys and uh, like going through, you know, middle school and up into high school. I just kept practicing over and over and over again. And I kind of became obsessed with it. Interesting. And then eventually you entered in some competitions. You know, I did. So uh, growing up in Northeast Iowa, I uh, I started in 1972 with calling. I uh, actually got a tag for the first season in Iowa in 1974. And uh, Brother Ron actually came to Iowa, kind of show me the ropes. Never got a turkey that year, um, but it was quite the experience. And uh, while I was in in Iowa, I worked at it was called a turkey plant, and so I could listen to turkeys all day long. They're domestic turkeys, but you know they still have kind of the same sound. So I, I would hear that over and over again, and I would try to mimic them with a mouth call. And so um, I got really into it, and then I did enter some contests uh, in Northeast Iowa. They had. Um, like up Upper Iowa, they had their, a convention there, and so I went there and uh, tried. So in turkey calling, they give you a series of, like for example, you do five different calls: you know, a tree call, a yelp, a cackle, a kiki, you know, whatever is on the list, and then you try to mimic them. And there's, like for example, five people that are uh, looking away from you; they don't know who you are, and they judge you on the calls that you make. And I was pretty excited with that first win. And then I went to another call in uh, Dubuque, Iowa. It was called the Sundown Open. And I proceeded to call, and I won that one. And then uh, by the time I was a little bit older, um, I went to the Iowa State Wild Turkey Calling Composition, or Competition, and that was in uh, 1981, and uh, I actually won it. I was so excited. And after that, um, I actually went to the Nationals in Orlando, Florida. And when I went down there, I flew down with a buddy, and uh, we were down there, and you know, at the time, I didn't realize, but there were TV cameras and all kinds of people watching, and I got such cotton mouth that I couldn't even call. So I did you. Needless, <laughs> needless to say, I didn't fare very well. I like choked. Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, I, you know, to to give some, I guess, reference to those who are listening. When my uncle and I were just hunting in the Black Hills uh, together, literally how many days ago? I think it's been four. And when we saw that we saw a group of turkeys and we decided to see if we could get a male Tom to answer you back. 
And it was a little bit of an uphill climb. So just you and I, so my sister, my dad, you and um, myself were in the truck and we decided that just you and I would go up the hill and my sister and my dad would take the truck, kind of pull it off the road or whatever. And we decided to climb and we climb up and we get in a position and Uncle Roger decides uh, he's going to start clucking like a hen, um, looking for a Tom turkey to come save her. And all of a sudden I realize it's, you know, Roger's not sounding like he's just one hen looking for a boyfriend. He sounds like five hens talking all at the same time. And when this clicked in my head, I was like, how in the heck is he doing that? And I slowly, you know, you don't really want to move when you're turkey hunting, because you never know when that male Tom is going to kind of pop on over. And so I slowly kind of glanced back at you and I was like, does he have two mouth calls in plus one call in each hand to make this happen? (laughs) And that's, you know, I, you are so talented at calling in turkeys. I was like, I have never in my life heard somebody make the sound of multiple hens talking all at the same time. And I wanted to have you on. And I, I know you've won quite a few turkey calling championships and it's so amazing. But I wanted you to share some of your unique calls and just the calls that you are your go-to calls with some of our listeners um, just to share your knowledge of of turkey calling. And do you have, you know, I guess if you're you're first starting out, like what's your first go-to? Is it the diaphragm call that you you kind of like to start with what is your routine, I guess, when you, when you're out there. So when I started out, I, I used a double read. So in with Turkey calls, it's latex and they have single reads, double reads, triple reads, quadruple reads, cut reads. So they have all these varieties. So starting out, I always would um, use a double read and the people that I would help uh, was working in sporting goods Um, when I was going to college and and I would get them on a double read and actually taught quite a few people, but that would be my go-to call to start. And then if we could get the, uh, get the sounds, um, but you know, with using your diaphragm, using your tongue, uh, your jaw and everything together. And, uh, you know, of course put the call in the correct way. Some people put them in backwards, but so double read is really my go-to, and I still to today use the double read probably more than anything. Um, there's calls that are raspier, but so when you talk about different hens, um, when I use the call, I can sound like different hens with a single call, just how I use my diaphragm and my um, just the pressure that I put on the call. Most people agree that we need to lower our carbon footprint while providing reliable and affordable energy. A diverse energy mix will provide reliability and affordability, which is extremely important during Minnesota's four distinct seasons. Fortunately, a clean energy solution for tomorrow is available today. That's ready to work alongside with other energy sources, and it's propane. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than electricity generated from the U.S. grid. 
Propane is energy stored on site and independent from the vulnerabilities of the grid. And propane's benefits don't end there. Major advances are being made today for renewable propane that is compatible with the traditional propane and requires no additional infrastructure investments. Minnesota needs to use all our low-carbon alternatives, including propane, to safely provide energy, reliability, resiliency, and affordability. Propane, the right energy right now. To find out more about what propane can do for you, visit propane.com. Also, a shout-out to our friends at Connecticut Water. You know, spring is so close, and that means that the Shirk family will be back at the cabin sooner versus later, I hope. And that means Connecticut water in the woods. You see, last summer, we were lucky enough to add Connecticut at the cabin. And oh boy, what a difference. For as long as I can remember, we've dealt with that stinky, foul well water. But after a painless four-hour installation, we now have Connecticut soft water and also Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make that early morning coffee. Great drinking water right out of our K5 tap. Our laundry no longer smells funny. And Connecticut Water cleaned up the showers and the dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family. If you own a lake home or if you have a pond on your property, you need to call the Aquaside Company. Aquaside has been helping people maintain healthy lake shores and ponds for over 68 years. Aquaside products are easy to use and begin working right away. Aquaside is registered with both the Environmental Protection Agency and Department of Natural Resources. Don't let weeds overtake your lake or pond this summer. Call Aquaside today. They'll help you identify problematic weed types, assist with product selection, and calculate application rates. Aquaside will make sure lake fronts look great all summer long. You can call them at 1-800-328-9350 or go to Aquaside.com. Check with your state agency for local application guidelines. And what would be, um, now you have to be curious, what, would be the difference of using a you know a triple read or a quadruple read versus a double read what what sound difference does that make for people so <clears throat> it, with the call uh, i do like the double i think it's it's the most versatile uh when you get into those uh quadruple and and the split reads um like i have one here that's a triple read and it's if i put the two side by side, you could tell one is raspier, like maybe an older hen. And uh, the double read is maybe, you know, maybe it's a younger hen, but I think the double read for me is more versatile. I can get so many sounds and do so many different things with just the double read. And I know this is going to be difficult on a podcast because you have to talk and possibly use the call at the same time. (laughs) But can you give us um, an example of some of your, um, the calls that you like to use with your with your double read? Sure. So just real basic, um, just putts, purrs, and a yelp. I'll just kind of do a little series uh, of those particular calls. And for those of you that are new to turkey hunting, um, the object is to sound like a hen turkey, a female turkey that is wandering alone looking for a Tom to come keep her company. And so there are multiple ways of communication that happens. 
with the female to the male and some of the things that she's saying. So um, when you say the putts and the purrs, I guess if those that are kind of new to the turkey hunting world, that is what you're referencing, right? Yes. And awesome. so the, the gobbler will gobble to attract the hens. In the turkey hunting world, you're actually reversing nature by trying to bring the gobbler to you. So uh, they gobble because the hens usually go to them, which is why they gobble. But uh, it makes it kind of interesting that you can talk to a bird and uh, have them come to you. So this would be a little example of putts, purrs, and some yelps with a double read. So now, that's an what, example. And what is the hen saying there? She like, I'm lost. I'm just hanging out. Come hither. Do we know what she's saying? <laughs> well, like they have different things. So when you say lost, that's generally a, what is called a kiki run. Generally in the fall, if you scatter a flock, uh, the kiki run is what brings it back together. It's like a lost call. They have an assembly call, which you actually heard uh there was a hen that kind of came down the hill and she was just nonstop calling. That's yeah, she, like an assembly call. She wanted everybody to go to her. So she's just nonstop calling. Um, so this, I guess, you know, here I am. Hi. I'm not, I'm not sure in the Turkey world what, <laughs> what it really means. <laughs> but do you, do you start off with that? Cause sometimes I noticed um, that you were a little bit more quieter in tone, like it was almost a really soft purr, I guess is maybe what you would call it, or um, but it was really quiet in tone. And then at times you were a lot louder in your calling, like, where are you? Where are you? So is there, you know, from being such an avid turkey hunter, do you, do you specifically start with one type of communication first? Do you start with being a little more quiet? And then do you like to go to kind of getting louder? Like, how does it? <clears throat> so you are exactly right, Laura. Uh, I do like to begin quiet. They have such phenomenal hearing, uh, but I start very quiet, whether it's on a, a slate, which I'll show you in a, or let you listen to in a bit, or the mouth call, and generally uh, call really quiet. Uh, as if you're communicating with them, <clears throat> maybe what you witnessed, is, of course, the closer they get, the quieter I get. Um, so one of two things, either you know, the hen is maybe leaving, and so I like try to do it really quiet to bring them in closer, um, or I just don't, you just don't want to call too loud. It's just very contented little purrs and yelps, um, very quiet. So the closer they are, the quieter I call. Got it. And then some people have philosophies on, on some people say you can call too much and then the turkey's onto you, the gobbler is onto you, or you could never call too much. What is your thoughts on that? You know, it, it really depends on each individual turkey. <clears throat> I have been calling for a lot of years, and I remember one instance, I'm up on a hill, I look down, and I see a flock of turkeys down below, and I called. They looked up, 
looked up the hill, turned around and ran away from me. So, <laughs> I mean, you, you just, you never know. So I don't know as you can call too much if you, if you're ever out there and depending. So in the Black Hills, we have the Merriam's um, subspecies of the wild turkey in Minnesota, Iowa, it's in Wisconsin, it's, it's the Eastern. And so the vocalizations probably vary. I don't think they're as vocal, uh, perhaps the Eastern birds as the Merriam's. The Merriam's are, are pretty vocal. Although I, I started with Eastern birds and, and uh, had pretty good success um, calling a lot. But I think you're probably right. Sometimes less is actually more. Got it. And you, so besides, you know, like the putts and purrs, you, I mean, I saw the gamut being used when we were out there from crow calls to, I mean, all sorts of things to get the gobblers to to respond. And sometimes they wouldn't respond to your the purrs and the putting, but then you'd sound like a crow and you'd get a gobble back. Um, but you said you use some other, you said you even do elk calls with your diaphragm call? which is the mouth call? It is. And so I do a lot of different things. So the, again, the double read is so versatile. Um, so for example, if, if I did want to do a crow call, I use my diaphragm and it would just sound like this. So that's just using a double read mouth call. Um, if I wanted to like if they're in the roost and you want to get a gobble, sometimes I'll do a coyote and that'd be like this. And those that loud, is so good. <laughs> those God. loud noises um, really get the, uh, the gobblers kind of fired up. And then for example, like with elk, you know, there's a lot of people that use mouth calls for elk. So when you, practice a lot. So for example, a cow elk. And so you, you vary things and you get the different sounds. And then a bull elk, of course. So that's all just using a turkey call. And uh, oh, you can get God. you can get so many different sounds, um, and then of course locators you can use different things. So an owl, I just use my voice for an owl, and just to make it sound like a barred owl or something like that. Um, Let's hear that one. <laughs> but it's been a long time <laughs> since I've done an owl. But. So we do something like that. Sometimes they answer it. I also have one that's kind of interesting. It's a peacock call for uh, a shot gobble kind of thing. And I, I know it's very weird, but I just make different sounds with this. So a peacock call would be like this. And I don't even know if this sounds like a peacock, but it's just the call. And a lot of times, just that noise like that, um, turkeys would respond to it. So that's kind of fun. Well, I can tell you that actually does sound like a peacock because my parents' neighbors used to have one as a pet and it would make the noise <laughs> all the time. Oh. And it would show up in our backyard at one point. This is totally sidetracking. The peacock 
was on my parents' deck looking in our patio window, like wanting to come in the house. And it <laughs> freaked everybody out, including the dogs. <laughs> they were like, oh, what wow. is that? Anyway, so very accurate, Roger. It was very accurate. Oh, well, that's good to hear. So do you use those those calls just to kind of get the location of the bird to see, you know, how far away is the Tom? Do you, are I, we going to get him to answer us? Yes. And so I also make a call uh, to gobble with. I don't necessarily like to use it too much if I'm in a hunting situation because uh, that's what other hunters would be, you know, like, not that you should, but there's people that maybe try stalking a turkey. Not a good idea, but so I make this gobbler call also as a locator. So in the evening, we do what we call put the turkey to bed. So you get them to gobble so you know where they're at. And in the morning, um, sometimes I'll use this in the morning too to get them to gobble. So you're going in in the dark and you kind of know where it is. So this is, I don't know if you can even make these anymore or actually find them anymore, but for those of you that may know, it's a 35 millimeter film canister. It's plastic. Um, most of them were black and with a gray top. And yes, like the Kodak old film, like you'd buy a film, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. And so I have one of these. And a a person back in 1982, his name was Rob Keck, and he worked uh, for the National Wild Turkey Federation, which we were members of. And he was at one of the calling contest that I was at the sundown open and he was one of the judges and he showed me a call like this and and how to make it so I can't take credit for it myself he's the one that actually showed me but it's uh, the top of the lid is cut out so it's a half moon cut out and then what I do is I use what is called dental dam and it's a it's a latex and I stretch it across the half that I cut out so I cut off half of the cap and then I put it up to my lip. I put it up to my bottom lip. Um, and then I do kind of what is similar to a feeding chuckle. If uh, if you have people that understand what a feeding chuckle is when you use a duck call, that's what I do to imitate a gobble with this call. And the bottom is cut out of it. And so would you like to hear it? Yes, let's hear it. All right, we'll try it. So that is my gobbler call. And what's interesting is you did use that when we were out in the field, and that's what the the gobbler responded to was that and was not talking back to the hens and the you know the clucking and the purring. That's right. They're very territorial. <laughs> so, <laughs> so sometimes you can get them mad. And, and so with you, I did use some like fighting purrs, um, and that's using – like both a mouth call and a slate combined and uh, making it sound like turkeys are kind of fighting. So. And when, when do you decide to, you know, switch it up from the purrs and the clucks to, you know, when you start sounding like you have multiple hens and there might be fighting going on, when do you decide like, when is the right time to be switching those formats up? <clears throat> so it, Every uh, situation is different, but I will uh, try it one way and then add another. Because to me, it always seems like if there's more than one turkey there, I think uh, because they're kind of usually in flocks, 
you know, they're gregarious, so they kind of gather together. So to me, the more turkeys that are there, I think uh, the more opt the uh, gobbler is to believe that there's a group of hens up there. And so as I'm calling, I'll do different things. And then yeah, if he's not coming in, then I'll switch it up and do what I did with you the other day, or actually kind of threw in some uh, you know, purrs, like almost like two birds are fighting. And so with that, I did a mouth call and a slate call at the same time. And 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 then throwing yelps and I, I just try to mix it up as much as I can. Well, it's super effective. I think um, our listeners have to hear this hen fight because, well, it's pretty fascinating. <laughs> Go ahead, Roger. <laughs> okay, so for this, I'll use a double read diaphragm. This is a perfection diaphragm call. And then I'm using a glass slate. So with slates, they have different ones. Some are actual slate. And this happens to be a glass slate. And, Do you have a uh, preference? I, personally, I like the glass. Okay. Uh, and why is that? A, well, I think it's just a really nice sound. And I can get different sounds with it. And <clears throat> I like the high pitch. And it seems like those gobblers really like that high pitch too. So a, uh, <clears throat> a fighting scenario would sound something like this. So that would be <laughs> like two birds are kind of fighting. I know. And it sounds, you know, when you're live, it sounds a little bit deeper, but I'm noticing on the podcast, it sounds very high pitched and maybe that's, that's a really good thing, but it almost sounds like people are talking in fast forward when you hit fast forward <laughs> on a tape. <laughs> that could be. So maybe try that next time, like a VHS tape <laughs> fast forward. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> so I do use, uh, the combination of mouth call and slate with um, when I'm calling in turkeys. And um, I can just give you a little scenario of what that would sound like. I do try to change it up um, a little bit. And I haven't even got to box calls yet, but that's another uh, thing in my arsenal that I use as well. And um, when do you, like, what are some of the calls you like to do on the box call or when do you find that you, because I didn't see you using that as much when we were out, maybe <clears> like <throat> once or twice. I didn't really use it that much this time. I do like to use it in the wind. When it's really windy, I think it carries a little farther. Um, but a, a simple Yelp uh, would be, and really you're looking at the cadence of the turkey is kind of what you're imitating. And, and uh, of course, some calls um, are higher pitch. This is another box call, but it's, it's a lot higher pitched. So depending on what the turkey answers is kind of what I would go with. So, I uh, I carry probably more calls than I should, but you never know with every um, situation how it could change. So, so true. Well, but that's when I'd use a box call and even a, a gobbler yelp. <clears throat> so sometimes um, 
that will work for me too. So gobbler yelp is deeper and it's kind of slower. So sometimes that'll get a uh, bigger gobbler, more dominant gobbler kind of fired up to come in to maybe take on the younger gobbler. Got it. I'm Bill Shirk, and you are listening to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. Again, we have all these great partners who help us uh, get to you each week. Um, I want to thank the Minnesota Historical Society. Um, Right now, on behalf of the Minnesota Historical Society, the History Center is presenting Sherlock Holmes, the exhibition. You can step into Victorian London and explore the world of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's world-famous detective. Seriously, you can. You can learn about the powers of observation, deduction, and the science while solving an interactive mystery. You can try hands-on gadgets and experiments that are based on real forensics and kind of make learning fun. See exactly how Sherlock influenced both real detectives and pulp pop culture. Last chance, the exhibit closes April 2nd. You can learn more at mnhs.org slash SherlockMN. Also, a shout out to our friends at Starbank. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Starbank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Starbank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Starbank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. Starbank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that Starbank has to offer at starbank.net. Remember FDIC and equal housing lender. Well, I I have to say that your turkey calling is incredible because we had great success in the Black Hills and we were not using any decoys whatsoever. So all turkeys came in by just the sounds that either you were making or my dad was making, but um, you were doing most of the calling all weekend for both, for everyone, my sister, myself, and um, my dad, which was incredible. Is, um, and you also have, are we forgetting any, any in the arsenal here? I know you talked about also the, the injured rabbit. Well, so I always did this thing. <clears throat> Um, where I would do different things with the mouth call. Of course, I'd do the bull elk, the cow. I'd do the coyote, uh, a wounded coyote. <laughs> that kind of thing. And then, oh and then I would do the crow. And then uh, and it gets up to what was the toughest of all is the wounded rabbit. Yeah, and I bet that's hard. This one is very tough. And it kind of goes like this. Ouch, ouch, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> we used to do that for comedy relief. <laughs> I do all these calls, and then that would be the finale of uh, the uh, of the n- evening. So it's so good. Yes, ouch, ouch, ouch. Try that one <laughs> next time you're out walking the woods, everyone. See if that one works. <laughs> uh, and, and you can thank my uncle Roger for that tip when you're out there. That's right. And then I have. Uh, I mean, there's other calls. I have a wingbone call. 
that I oh, what is that? I, it's, well, it's made from the wing bones of a wild turkey. Um, and there's like three different sizes of the bone that are kind of glued together. And the idea is like a suction. You kind of suck through the call. I don't use it because probably not that good. And it's just a different. It would sound like this if I can get it to work. So it's quite a bit different. I don't necessarily like it as much, but it's just another option that uh, people can do, you know, from using the slate, the mouth call, the box call, and uh, just adds more to your arsenal. And if you were to give, you know, listeners tips on, I guess, how to improve, is there, is there like a go-to starting place on, you know, I know you were listening to a 45 record. Can't really get those anymore. <laughs> I, that kind of dates me. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but is there, you know, if you had someone starting out and they really want to improve their turkey calling skills with the diaphragm, I mean, it, is it really just listening and practicing or are there books out there that teach you like mouth placement or get the tongue placement or anything like that? Yeah, I, I really, I truly believe there's nothing, uh, that's going to help a person more than actually getting out and listening to wild turkeys talk, especially the hens and just listening to them, uh, try to mimic them. <clears throat> and I think earlier I talked about, I would use a mouth call to do different, um, like I try to imitate songs because that would help me, um, from low pitch, high pitch and everything in between. Cause when I, I do, um, when I use the call, it's so much variant in how I like the pressure I put on the call. And so I would go out and uh, I'd actually go out and listen to turkeys. I would try to mimic them and try to do what they were doing. And, uh, and I think that really, really helps if you can, you know, if you have some turkeys you can listen to and just hear those hands and then try to mimic what they are doing. So smart. And there's probably, if there's, you know, a local turkey calling contest anywhere, I'm sure if you just show up and ask for, you know, a tip or two from people that are there, I'm, I'm guessing they're more than happy to send you on your way with some things to practice. You know, that's the cool thing about uh, people helping other people um, and just getting them to understand the, the pressure you put on that and how you drop your jaw and the sound you like a it's kind of a key yuck. Well, like if I put a call in. So I drop my jaw. And it just kind of progresses from there. But, you know, just to practice the different things I was talking about. Just if you can make different sounds, you have a lot more control with uh, with what you're doing with the call. So it's just constantly making different sounds, and eventually it all kind of comes together. At least it did for me. Yeah, I'm, that's good advice. I mean, I, even at one point when my sister and I were playing around with those diaphragm calls forever, I, I felt like we both were able to do a little um, purr and some other uh, hen noises pretty good. 
I mean, of course we weren't entering any competitions, but eventually we weren't annoying my father quite as much, but, (laughs) 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 but it is, you know, it's a, um, fun way to get your kids interested in probably turkey hunting is, is getting them started with the calling when they're old enough, of course, to have a diaphragm in their mouth because it is a mouthpiece. So, um, to start playing around and see if they can mimic noises and, um, it's a, a great way to, to get started. Uh, and is there any other, it, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it's usually better outside. You know, I, I used to do it when I was going to high school and I'd make these sounds and I don't think they appreciated that, but yeah, if you're outside, <laughs> I guess <laughs> if you're outside and alone, uh, doing different things, um, you can make all the noise you want to make and uh, it's kind of fun. For sure. Well, there is nothing like having a response of a gobbler um, get closer and closer and closer. And then you almost can't believe it that there they are walking in, you know, to sight looking for that lady and they are adamant to find her. Um, And that is what makes turkey hunting so unique and so special. And um, but I have to thank you, Uncle Roger, for um, creating such a special experience for me when we were out hunting together. That was really cool to um, be out there with you and hear your talented calls. And and I will have to say you you did an incredible job keeping still and you waited. Um, I could hear the bird drumming as he was getting closer, which is very cool. And I could hear that. And then... (laughs) could see the fan and of course when i first saw him there there was not a an opportunity because he was behind some brush and so it's not a good time but when he stepped kind of into that opening and you just you you really did a nice job and uh it was something i'll remember forever oh well thank you it was um super special and it's i've worked my on myself and remaining really patient and um, the more calm you can remain in those situations for me personally, the better um, success you'll have, which is important in making sure you don't flinch or miss or even wound an animal. So you want to be as, as calm and as collected as possible just for the um, sake of making sure that you have a clean shot. So um, yeah, it all, it all was, it was a really, really special day. And um, I want to thank you for being on the podcast today just to share some of your tips and tricks and your talents that you have. And um, and I think you need to enter another turkey calling contest. I think it's time. Well, we'll, you had a we'll couple years retirement. <clears throat> and I do have to tell <laughs> just a little story. Yes. Okay. So this is when I was in Northeast Iowa and I was – turkey hunting and of course you're turkey hunting in april and i found a shed on the ground i then heard a turkey gobble and then what i thought was my heart beating really really fast was a rough grouse drumming i just thought oh my oh, really? gosh <laughs> <laughs> that rough grouse's sound is so deep inside. I thought it was my heart after I heard that, that turkey. So, so I mean, it's it's you know, turkey hunting is it's so exciting, and and I'm really glad uh, that you got to come out and uh, hunt with me this year. So that was pretty cool. Well, I should also say that um, 
my dad founded a turkey hunting camp 50 years ago. And that is, uh, we were part of the camp and Uncle Roger lives in Rapid City, South Dakota. So the camp is only 30 minutes outside of Rapid City about. Yes. And it's called Turkey Track Club. And they still have, um, are still up and running. And I don't know how many camps they have per year. Each one is, is it three or four days yes. per camp? And I think they have six camps. So. Six camps. Okay. Yeah. So um, really great opportunity to hunt with some incredible guides. And um, it's a it's a really great location. There are there is, excuse me, a healthy population, obviously, of turkeys out there. And the camp that we were at, almost everybody, but just one person um, harvested a bird. So that is uh, really cool. And I know they're trying to convince you to to be a part-time guide at Turkey Track Club next year because you're now retired from teaching. So um, there, a lot of people are convincing you to get back into turkey talking, I think, including you know me to get you on here on the podcast. And now they're trying to get you to sign up for next year guiding. Uh, I know. I'm going to think about it. Yes. Well, um, I just hope that we have a really good hatch this year. Like last few years have not been good. So that's a big, big part of it is that uh, May weather, hopefully no snowstorms. So, yes, I know. Well, when we were there, it was, you know, windy, but we had pretty, I felt we had great weather. Um, but yes, that is obviously very important. So, um, hopefully it's a healthy population for next year. And, um, is there anything else you want to add to talking turkeys? No, I think uh, I think it went pretty well. I guess for a first time. Yeah, you did great. Oh well, thanks. Well, thank you, Uncle Roger, for joining the Minnesota Bound podcast, and also thank you to our sponsors: Star Bank, Minnesota Historical Society, Aquaside, Connecticut, Rudy Luther, Minnesota Propane, and last but not least, don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.